Hello and welcome to the Game Pit. My name's Sean and this is episode 166 and we're back to a review format, aren't we Ronan? I'm going to make it a picking over the bones, Sean. Oh, they're digging up those bones there. (laughs) No one cares. Well, that's what I'm going to do, so I thought I might as well tell you. They're not interested in what we call the episode, but it's, it's the new style of picking over the bones. Well, picking over the bones used to mean like an in-depth, probably two hours of rules explanations, three minutes of talk about the actual game. This is, this is We're still picking over these bones, just in a slightly different way. <laughs> yes, with differences, because you've you added a few differences in, Ronan. So we've got the scoring now. And I have to admit... I had, I had to get authorization, though. That's not just... You did have to. This is true. This is true. I didn't you did go rogue authorization you. for your very first two scores <laughs> in this system being exactly the same. Nobody no, nobody phoned through and got authorization for that one. That's because I knew it would be denied. <laughs> and if I started scoring out of the thousands in the start, I knew I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> I would never have the two same scores on an episode. Let me just tell you it's, that. You, it's what you've done, isn't it? I know it's what you've done. You've told me already you're a fool. <laughs> <laughs> Hypocrisy. And like three minutes into your own return. What's going on? To be fair, <laughs> I, I, it might even be the two, the two next to each other. But anyway, <laughs> you're, you're here to break them up, so it's better. So somehow. I don't what, is it? Cause, all right, so... We've got the review scores, but we're not necessarily reviewing each other. I don't think you're doing a score for any of mine, are you? Because you haven't played them. Enough. I am not. And you're doing one of mine, I believe. Yeah, just one of yours. So it's going to be back to that thing where we'll be asking questions and you're going to get a score for each game. Do you know, no one's really had a massive go at us about it yet, so maybe it's not too awful. <laughs> I, I had a joke lined up that I haven't got to squeeze in yet, Sean, but it's about your return. Oh, go on then. It's, it's, so I feel like like you're the you're the one that people like more and like relate to more. So I'm all right. This is this is now because we've both seen this film recently. I feel like you're guy and I'm buddy. <laughs> <laughs> adjective. <laughs> Insert adjective. <laughs> Laugh harder. <laughs> anyway, Ronan's a little bit obsessed by this film. It's pretty funny though, isn't it? (laughs) It is very good. It's a good film. I think maybe it's the excitement of getting back to cinema. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it nice just to be able to go to the cinema and sit down and chill out and watch it? Watch a good movie. I'm hoping to go and see Zhang Chi with uh, James, even though he's seen it once already soon. So yeah, very excited to be back at the cinema. I knew you were going to say Shang-Chi. I'm, I'm excited to go see it too. I'm waiting for the girls to come with me. We've had a busy couple of weekends. Okay, Sean, mm. you are going to lead us off with a little game with a big track record to live up to. I am. I am. It's essentially the follow-up to Calico, and it's called Cascadia, and it's from Flat Out Games uh, and AG, and they were the ones that just gave us Calico, designed by Randy Flynn. It's another tile layer, but this one is going to add in animals that are going to go on those tiles. So what you have is a tableau in front of you where you're building up a landmass with different areas of land types, and then you're putting animals onto those land types to score in various ways. And at the end of the game, they both score for you in different in different ways, depending what cards are out for the animals, but the land always scores for just continuous routes of the same land. 
that's pretty much it. So on your go, you've got a choice of one land tile and one animal. And you can mix that up by getting special tokens where you can take a different tile from a, from the animal. From the mighty Douglas fur. <laughs> there you go. Was it an acorn or something? From the mighty Douglas fur. I don't think you get acorns from fir trees. Pine cones, oh, pine cones. That's the one. It's a fir acorn. tree. That's what Eddie was saying. Eddie was calling them pine cones. They're fir cones. It's a fir tree. I don't know if fir cones is a real thing. <laughs> so I'm glad you've come in there with an informed opinion that wasn't informed. <laughs> it's just that everything's cool. Like it's not a salmon. It's a Chinook salmon. It's not an elk. It's a Roosevelt elk. Everything's very specific. And this is from the... It says it every time it's mentioned. The mighty Douglas fir. <laughs> Does the Chinook salmon have two two propellers on the top of it to carry it? Yes, exactly. Two sets of fins. That's how it swims. It's different. That's <laughs> how it goes so yeah. fast. Yeah, it makes a low like do, 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 as it goes through the water as well. I thought so. I thought One so. went over us literally yesterday. Because yeah, we've got the air base out of the west of yeah, London, yeah, and central yeah, London's yeah. the other side. One went over us. Oh man, I know they're old, but they're still cool. Those Chinook oh, helicopters. So anyway watching them go by it's amazing I love I love watching aeroplanes and anything that, anything that flies I'm like wow it's, it's so hard for us to get off the ground I think I know. we just get impressed <laughs> <laughs> anyway we digress so Cascadia I will start us off Ronan with once again a beautiful table presence and everything very clearly delineated and the iconography really nice and it just looks nice on the table when, when, you, when you're building up that tableau i think i'm not as convinced no no i've got look at the game with question mark next to it really okay mm, like it's well presented and it, like you say everything's clear but when i like the actual look of it you know when i'm it's it's not very soothing to my eye for like you know this is explained as like a nature themed game I, I kind of want to be I'm going to talk about Subastral later in this episode that look is cool and it gives me that sort of nature feel this one is a bit like the swampy thing they're like toxic avenger swamps right <laughs> luminous green and I, this is a bit picky like it looks fine but I'm not it's not something that would be a selling point for me so. I, I think I've taken a leaf out of your book for this one, where, yes, it's not the greatest artistically, but I think they found a nice blend between clearly being able to decipher each tile from each tile and each animal from each animal and getting the art in there as well. So I kind of felt, felt they hit that sort of match quite well. I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> it's accepted by Ronan. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> The big problem for me with Cascadia is that this is sort of a tricky third album. Now it's not the same designers, but it's coming from Flat Out Games, their their team, and they've had they've had some small games, but they've had the big hits of Point Salad and Calico, and now Cascadia. All I heard about it before I played it was how great it was, and it was better than Calico, and. It would have to be a mighty game, Sean, to live up to the hype. That, And I think it's just in our little bubble, like where you get the hype from. It, it's on board game Twitter and stuff like that, and Twitch and whatever. It, this was hyped a lot. It was. I'm going to put you on the spot here. With our new rating systems, just quickly, don't go into your usual four hours of deliberations. Quickly rate Calico. 93. 93. Wow. Yeah. I would say 85. Okay. 
It's pushing into the very, very, very top. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's right up there. It's right up there. Well, you say 85 is not right up there. They give me an 85. For me, yeah, right 85, that's... 85 is a great score, but like 93 is like, it's right up there. It's like top 20 game. Oh, no, it's not a top 20 game for me, but it's a top yeah. 50, maybe lower end of that. Right. But having said that, and I'm going to throw this at you again, we didn't discuss this at all. I have not got permission for this. <laughs> but you, you're the permission holder. You're not the permission seeker. <laughs> you're the editor of the podcast. So whatever I say can be quickly deleted. <laughs> Ryan is amazing. <laughs> I would never say that. People know that. It is a pit hit. <gasps> Do you see what I did there? Uh, you're calling Calico a pit hit. I'm calling Calico a pit hit. <laughs> I didn't really see. I had to get clarification. But uh... that is that is the phrase that publishers are going to be clamouring to get onto their boxes. <laughs> <laughs> are they? Okay, it's right in the green pit of great hits. You wait until we tweet this out. AEG will be all over us. They'll be paying. Will they? With with lawsuits, maybe. (laughs) Maybe they're actually very nice to us. AEG, I have to say, they didn't give us this game. We never asked for it. We both backed it, didn't we? But anyway, okay. We should probably talk about gameplay and what does and doesn't uh, like us for it. That's good English. Don't worry, I'm leaving that in. Okay. I was going to start with. I think it's really accessible, Ronan. I think the rules are easy. I think everything's quite intuitive with the game. And it's it's not long from when you pick up the rule book till you've got that game on the table and you're playing it. Yes, it's got that magic of five-minute explanation and we're off and running. However, that magic has to be tied into clever gameplay or clever scoring or some hook in a very crowded toll-laying arena. The hook here is obviously trying to get the right animals at the right time. And when you first look at this game, I'm going to keep comparing it to Calico because that's the, that's the game that it was sold as a, as a beta. <sighs> it's a difficult thing to do, though. It is a difficult thing to do, but... it's impo- I have not found it possible to not compare this to Calico. That's a lot of knots in there. I keep comparing it to Calico, but as a reviewer, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to, but I haven't succeeded. So, originally, when I started looking at this, I thought, brilliant, I've got more choice than Calico. I've got four tiles to choose from, and four animals, and with those fur cones... I can mix the mighty Douglas. <laughs> I can mix and match, and I've got I've got loads of choice here. I've got loads of choice, but and I think you agree with me on this. When you kind of work out what you're doing, the tiles that you pick up have pictures of animals on them, and you can only put the animals that are pictured on the tiles on those tiles. So you might have I think it, is it three spare at any given time, and you're limited to what you can really pick up and you're limited because you're trying to extend different types of terrain because they are going to score you points at the end of the game so that wide open choice all of a sudden comes much narrower whereas calico it's your board you can put a tile anywhere you want on that board this tells me where i've got to put each of those combinations pretty much the problem with it is that the animal scoring is the interesting scoring. 
terrain scoring is just simply you're trying to make the biggest group of terrain, trying to make loads of mountains together, loads of sea together, wherever it might be. The animal scoring is where the variety is in the game. You've got four different sets of scoring for the five different animals, and you can mix and match those cards around. And that's where the cleverness should be. But the amount of points that the animals score is no higher than the amount you get just for playing a very, very simple terrain matcher. And as long as you're keeping half on eye on where animals can go, you're going to do as well scabbing the odd point for your foxes and your hawks, which can sort of pop in and, and score from much around them and are much easier to do than like the big runs or the shorter runs of salmon that you have to do or the, or the shapes of elk because elk are going to be in herds, the Roosevelt elk. The difficulty lies in managing your animals, but the reward for managing them is not there in scoring. So what should be the trickiest decisions for me are, are to be honest, after a couple of plays, I'm there going, I'm just playing a simple terrain matching game. And the way the animals fall, it'll be all right. I'll get a few points out of them because I'm scoring two and a half points per animal as opposed to three points per animal if I work hard and get the exact right shape. And I'm, to me, I'm not sure the balance of those two scorings works very well. I'm going to disagree with you on this one because in every game, and I've played it about five times now, and every single game, the animals have been two-thirds of the scoring. Well, how big have your biggest terrain thing has been, though? I think we've maybe got up to nine or ten with some of them, but that's that's quite rare. Normally, it's around the seven or eight mark. You can score 40 points off your terrains quite easily. And then scoring 40 points of your animals as well is like... Well, we were scoring upwards of 60 points, if not 70, for our animals. And around about the 30 mark for our terrain. Every game, there's like a 5 or 10 uh, window of margin to that, but that's all. Yeah, we haven't had that. The animal scores might be slightly higher, but it's so much harder to really think around that. You know... <laughs> I don't know. The thing it lacks for me is is the perfect tile moment as well. It's got the thing, oh, yeah, I've been building up, building up, here's the perfect thing, I'll put that in, bang. This plan that I've concocted has gone together. It's all very incremental. So even if I get my fifth salmon, yeah, well, I score four or five points for that salmon, which is nice. It's better than the two or three I've been scoring beforehand. But it's not that click that, yes, I've done it. Everything is scoring something. It's just some of them are scoring one or two points more. It's the fact that that one or two points over 10 plays will make a big difference. But I'm not feeling these big moves where I'm pulling something off. Just changing the subject, what do you feel about the changeable sort of scoring targets of the animals? I felt that they weren't different enough. The salmon pretty much all work in the same way. The elk pretty much work in the same way, whether it's a line of them or a square of them or a diamond of them. They're, they're all together. The foxes all chain off animals around them. Yes, the animals around them change, but there wasn't that wild, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that was a cool one. Oh, yeah, that really changed it up. What about you? Yeah, they were my only hope. <laughs> You're sounding very down on this game, Albert. I'm not very down on it. I'm not very down. You'll get that from my rating, but... If, they, if that variety wasn't in there, how disappointing would you be in the game? It absolutely wouldn't have any legs. You'd, you'd play it about four or five times and then you'd be like, you know what, I've seen it now. There's not that much variety in the cards, so now you're going to play it six or seven times and be... There needs to be, I think, an expansion. with, And all it would take is a pack of animals where they've really sort of thought outside the box. 
and gone, yeah, no, the, we're not having salmon, we're having herrings or something, I don't know. And they're going to just score wildly. You've got to bunch them up. And, they, and, they, and eagles like to be next to, or hawks like to be next to I'll herrings because they eat them. And I'm, they just checking, be, I'm just checking that you're aware where herrings live, aren't you? Yeah, all right, I know, I know, I know. I'm just checking. I'm worried about your fish knowledge. But they, they look like they look like sea. It looks like the sea, doesn't it? It doesn't look like a river. Yeah, but oh, salmon like doing their runs is supposed to be. I was getting abused that the salmon were um, appearing in the middle of plains or the middle yeah, of mountains. That, that was a bit I'm odd, like, there's just... rivers on them. Yeah, can't see the river. <laughs> can't see it. <laughs> do, do they have to put a blue line across it? And then it's okay. Imagine there's a river there. It doesn't look like it. These must be land salmon. <laughs> Hey, they're Chinook salmon. They just flew over. <laughs> I see. I see. Right. We've been we've been on this for ages. Go on then. Lay it down for us. I'm disappointed in Cascadia. Part of the disappointment is the fact that it was oversold, as far as I'm concerned. It hasn't got the magic of Calico. It hasn't got the cleverness of Calico. It hasn't got the tightness of Calico. It hasn't got the compromise of Calico. You'll always score with everything you do. It's just whether you're scoring two, three, four, five points, wherever it might be. I don't have the big game moments. I don't have the tightness in the drafting. I don't have the limitation of tiles. The terrain is absolutely bog-standard terrain matching that you've done plenty of times. The animal scoring... Okay, it does add another layer. At the end of the day, it's a decent game. It's not a terrible game in any way, but it certainly doesn't stand up to its predecessors, and it certainly doesn't stand up to the hype it was sold to me with. I may need to give this a bit of distance and then come back to it in six months or a year and say, right, this, you know, it's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be, but currently my rating for Cascadia is a 62. 62, oof. Oof, that's what that's not, that you much. did listen to my explanation of rating I did right? I did things. I did but yeah, I wasn't I was expecting higher from you I was I know that's still a good game that you'll play but I was expecting higher I think you do get fun choices yes they're never amazingly interesting it's never agonizing like calico was and it just doesn't have that sort of cleverness and that sort of wow moments and that nail by intention that calico could sometimes have and for that i have to score it low so calico was an 85 this is a 74 it's still a good game i still enjoy playing it i've sounded quite negative in in my in my review of it but i do think it's a good game and i will will go back to it time and time again please aeg flat out games give us some more animals but really ramp up the the differences between those animals and, and i'll love it even more ronan you are leading us into the Initiative. One to four player game, 30 minutes, Gory Kniska, uh, XFFG star, and his new publisher, Unexpected Games, where he is let off the leash. It is a legacy type of a game. And it's actually a game within a game, in which the players are playing as four kids, and one of the kids has found this game in a yard sale, and they start playing the board game within the game and then via a comic book or graphic novel that you flick around as you go through the different chapters you realize there's more going on and there's something more sinister to this and the kids have got their own motives and whatever it might be the way you actually play the game itself is you're playing cards from your hand 
The cards come in different suits, which will come into it as you move through the chapters, but all you're doing is playing onto four different actions. You must ascend up through the actions. There's actually only three actions, because one of them is a reset off the pile, because if I've played a four, Sean plays a seven, the next player must play higher than a seven, or we play cards to reset that stack, take them all off, and we can start from the lower numbers again. What we're doing when we play the cards is there's a map, there's a bunch of tiles laid out on the map, and we are playing our cards to move around, reveal these tiles in some way. Some of the tiles will have traps on, which will slow us down, but a lot of them will have symbols on. There's a different code to break for each of the initial chapters. As you reveal the symbols, there's a very clever sort of physical thing where a card with the code on goes in, and as you reveal symbols, you get to flip down these flaps, which will reveal more information. Once you feel that you've got the right information, you can guess as to the answer of the code, and you'll win that chapter. Or... The way you lose is that there's a timing mechanism and when you go through uh, the deck of cards, action cards once, now some time cards get shuffled in and if enough time cards come out while you're still playing, you'll have lost that chapter, which isn't the end of the world because you'll just move on to the next chapter anyway. And as you play through, there's more complexity revealed and more things appear on the map and you have more things to think about. But certainly in initial plays, you're just still playing this same simple action selection game in order to get clues to unlock a card. It's not really clues to be honest with you. It's revealing symbols which will give you numbers or letters which will then have some sort of pattern to them that you have to work out. Ronan, I've been on the verge of buying this game for so, so long and the reviews are so mixed. Oh, I went very high there. The reviews are so mixed for it. Some people love it, some people hate it, some people are meh, it's just all over the shop. I couldn't work out whether it was a game for me or not. So I'm going to pepper you with some questions. And my first question for you, the story. Does it hold water? Does it bring you in? Does it sort of make you want to investigate more and expand this 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 game and, and keep going, basically? No. <laughs> because there's no story or theme in the actual play the play is very very mechanical and then you read like a, a page of comic book panels they're like oh oh that character's got a secret but the person playing that character doesn't know what their secret is they're like all right apparently i've got a secret i don't know what it is you're like great let's get back to this very mechanical game that we're playing the next chapter of which is very similar to the very mechanical game we played in the last chapter so the theme is not integrated into the gameplay in any way from the way it's sort of built up, oh, this this these teenagers they're 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 in a room they're reading these comics and whatever they're reading this and they're, and they're following the story and things start happening. I thought we were we were on for a really narrative experience, so that is disappointing to me. The production, how does it all come together? Is it easy to play? Was it easy to learn? Does it all sort of make sense on the board? Very easy to play, easy to learn, all makes sense on the board. But that's because it's incredibly simple mechanically, which lies <laughs> lies its own danger because it's incredibly simple mechanically. It is here is a space you have to move out into. Here are tiles you must flip. Everyone's got a special power, which mixes up a bit. But their special power is to flip tiles more, or move someone further, or be able to ignore a negative thing. Until you get deeper into the game, where there are other things that unveil the problem you have is the first few games are dull because if you're making a legacy game we want to build on something the first game has to be fun 
It's no good telling me that there's more to come. Well, what about this game I've played, and the second game, and the third game, and the fourth game is still very, very similar. Now, some couple of things have been added, very similar to the first game, and dull. Right. Well, I think, to be honest, I got that feeling. So, as we always do when we, we're, we're looking at a game that we haven't played ourselves, and obviously I've not played the initiative, we go on to the BGG comments, we look at a few reviews from other reviewers, but on the comments and all the negative reviews, all the positive reviews will say, oh, wonderful story, oh, great game, and as they as they would do, and as they have the absolute right to say, and I'm glad they're enjoying it, but the negative ones, they were saying either it was too easy, and you know what, some of the good reviews said, actually, you know what, it was too easy, and that the strategies just didn't evolve. Nothing evolved in the game. They were, they were pretty much doing the things... Generally speaking, the things that they were doing at the beginning of the game and the strategies they were employing at the beginning of the game right through to the end. So it makes me think, is this a family game? Is this for younger kids, Ronan? So I don't think so because it's dull. And that's genuinely like, of course, some kids are going to enjoy it. Oh, my kids loved it. Yeah, all right. But generally, like, Caitlin was out straight away because she was just bored because you're playing a numbers game you're playing an efficiency game and sometimes the best thing for the group is for a player to do very very little if they're not in a position to do the exact thing especially what happens so these timer cards get shuffled back into the action deck as soon as you draw them they add up and there's three with one sim one time symbol on and one with two and as soon as you draw four symbols you're out right the deck's not very thick so when you get to that sort of second phase then people are really, really cautious on actions because it's a case of, well, look, don't do anything because you can not draw cards at that point and run your hand down a little bit. And it's all very tight, though. And people will be like, oh, I could do this, I can move there, but you're not allowed to tell each other the number of cards. It's got that annoying thing. Like, you can't say, I've got an eight. You can say, oh, I've only got a high one. Don't do it. Stop. Don't take an action. Kids don't like that. Kids want the freedom to be able to do things and explore and 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 feel powerful. In this, it's so careful and tippy toey that you're not getting that fun. The second part of it is that time pressure. So when you're playing, you don't want to lose with your kids, right? You, and you're there, and say one or two time symbols are out with the codes that you have to break. Like it's, it's very easy. You look at it and you're like, uh, how are these numbers related to these numbers? Yeah, I got the pattern. It's, it's minus minus one. Yeah, I got it right. What's the, what, how, rearrange this, these letters. Yeah, I got it. So you're sitting there not doing it because the kids are not going to get it as soon, usually. Yeah. But are you going to let the, the whole team lose when you know the answer and you're part of the team? So, so that's it's not, <laughs> it's not sounding great, mate. The game difficulty is also very arbitrary because if those time cards come out on the top off after the reshuffle, you're out. That's it. You didn't have time to win the game. If some of the code tiles that you need, the, the glyph tiles that you need, are far away from where you start, way harder. If there's like four crucial ones right near you and you flip them all over and you look at it and you go, oh, I know what the answer is after five minutes. But it could be impossible. So you are going to lose some chapters through no fault of your own. And then if, if your kids aren't enjoying the fact that you're losing, you're going to start quarterbacking. Or the, the you're not good at the temptation is there to start yeah, quarterbacking. So, who are the people that really enjoy this game? And politely say, like, who who's going to enjoy this game? Who are these people that are rating it eight, nines, and tens? And why are they doing? I don't know, so? mate. 
I don't know. I genuinely don't know. <laughs> so I can't tell you. And then look, all, all power to you, because I was very excited to get this. I was like, yes, his first game unleashed. He's going to do It's going to be amazing. I'm very excited. I'm all up for it. I took it away on holiday to play with the whole family. I forced them through three sessions of it with multiple games on them. And it was a four. After the first one, they were like, a reluctant. After the second one, they were really reluctant. They were like, don't make me do it. Come on. It might get better. It might get better. Dad hasn't got any better. You're right. It hasn't got any better. <laughs> <laughs> it's just almost the opposite to Cascadia my rating here is falsely high because I, I have a lot of want for Corey to do well not that I know the geezer it's just that he does interesting things with games and this has sold pretty well I think and that's a good thing who's liked it I don't know but, but more power to you if you had fun with your family I'm really happy and I'm jealous because I wish I had but I didn't and I would have continued playing but I was very, very aware of the limitations so far. If people are saying they've played further than us and it doesn't change and it didn't get any harder, then my rating would just have plummeted. I've given it a generous 48 short, but I only feel that every further game of the initiative would have pushed that rating down. 48 still higher than I thought you were going in with that one. It would, but it was descending. Yeah, yeah, fair dues, fair dues. So if I was forced to sit through all 15 games or whatever it is, it probably would end up on like a six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, FFG, we're talking about, we're talking about a man who built up their reputation with such titles as Descent and Descent 2. I don't know if you designed them, but he was near them. You have been a madman and have bought the massive box. I did. So, it's Descent Legends of the Dark, designed by Kara Sentel Dunk, uh, Nathan Hayek, and obviously, as Rona said, coming from Fantasy Flight Games. And they go to great lengths to say this isn't Descent 3. It's a Descent game in that Terranoth or whatever it is universe. Why they call it Descent then, Sean? I don't know. Why they call it Descent and say it ain't Descent free? <laughs> Why do you call it Descent then? Call it something else. <laughs> call it Ascent. So it wasn't wasn't Descent like the original? Well, that was Journeys in the Dark, isn't it? And this is Legends in the Dark. So I think the second one was Journeys in the Dark. Oh, was it? Oh, okay, maybe, maybe. I'll do some Descent homework while you... <laughs> you do your Descent homework. So okay. if you've ever played a Fantasy Flight... The Descent itself, or Mansions of Madness, or uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth, then you'll know the type of game that you're getting here. You're getting a dungeon crawler-esque game where you are using an app, and the app is heavily, heavily integrated into the game. The, The app basically acts as a dungeon master, tells you where things go, sets the scene for you activates the villains and what you and you're you're just going through and you're doing missions the slight difference with this is that you're going to go to cities and you're going to interact with people and buy equipment and you're going to combine herbs and things that you get along the way to make potions and so there's a little bit more to it i haven't explored a lot we've just done the first couple of missions we've unlocked two of the extra characters that you get in the game but it tells you in the rule book you're going to unlock them at some stage anyway and that's basically it it's a dungeon crawler and it's heavily app driven so ronan did you do your descent homework what is the first one called uh journey's in the dark so they're both journeys in the dark, yeah. They're all called journeys in the dark, <laughs> and this is legends <laughs> in the dark. So that's where the, the difference is. Yeah, well done. What get no no because what gets really confusing is that there were one, two, three, four, five 
expansions to the first one called Descent something different. Oh, really? So it wasn't Descent Journeys in the Dark, something, something. It was Descent the Altar of Despair, Descent the Road to Legend, Descent the Sea of Blood. Right. So now this is Descent Legends of the Dark. Is it an expansion to the first Descent? <laughs> is it a rework? Of the... Don't call it if you don't want it associated with Descent. If you're going to say this is a completely different type of game, use a different name. <laughs> <laughs> They've caused themselves so much grief by using right, that. They, they, they wanted really the have. cash cow. They wanted the cash cow that is Descent. So, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, outside our bubble it was probably a great idea yeah, because people know the name Descent more than within our bubble but within the bubble they've, <laughs> they've got some shtick we've given this way more airtime than it deserved so Descent Legends of the Dark is the most and I'm going to say this categorically the most amazing outside of like miniatures people who build the Shire out of cardboard and it looks amazing outside of that the most amazing table presence I have ever, ever seen on a game. It is spectacular when it gets going. That's great. Now, that 3D terrain, does it affect gameplay? Let's get down to that. It builds ambience, Ronan. Okay. Does it affect the gameplay, Sean? No. Okay. <laughs> Not no, really. That's, that's some... Very slightly, because you, inter- you can interact with things. So, if there's a tree on the map... You can interact with that tree. So you walk over to the tree and you 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 scan it or you look at it, <laughs> and it'll tell you, oh yeah, you see something on the branch, and and you have to do like a, a test to see if you can climb the tree. And and obviously there's like chests and cauldrons and things, and you walk up to them. They could be a token. I've never yes. seen them done in any way other than overpriced 3D. Like, that's <laughs> I mean, that leads me directly onto. We well, you've got to tackle it. The price point. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a hell of a lot of money. I got mine, the cheapest I could get it in the UK, which was about £120, and I think that equates to about $150. They go upwards from that. I think it goes up to £179.99 is the the RRP. So that's a hell of a lot of money. I did have to think about it long long and hard, but a couple of reviews online just made me think it might be the game for me and my family that we've been kind of craving after. Something amazing for, for James, and even Thomas comes up to him and goes, whoa, and also has decent gameplay. But they don't go, go too far, but yeah. He, Did you say decent I, or Descent gameplay? <laughs> descent gameplay, and... It hasn't got Descent gameplay, has it? <laughs> no, because it's not Descent. Well, it's not Legends of the Dark. Anyway. Why is it, it is Legends of the Dark, it's not Journeys of the Dark. It's not confusing. I'm so confused. Okay. And, yeah, going back to that, that was me trying to justify spending a lot of money that I really didn't have. And that didn't work, didn't go very well, did it? There's no justification for that. I'm not having it at all. <laughs> right. So the 3D terrain that didn't need to be 3D terrain, but adds to the experience. So mm-hmm. it's up to the listener as they wish whether they think that that is justifiable or not. I haven't bought it. Sean has. That's kind of predictable. The art direction Sean has drawn comment after comment from near and far is definitely removed from their usual Terranoth style. So Ooh. sort of is, is a bit disjointed from where they've done the setting, but has got a lot of applause for being more inclusive and what have you, which is important. But in terms of the art direction yourself, thoughts? For, yeah, definitely more inclusive. And the actual art direction itself 
I warmed to it, and then I warmed to it like sort of from afar because I, I was looking at like playthroughs and I was looking at the art as it was being released, from, and the initial initial sort of screenshots that I saw, I thought, well, that's not nice. But then I'm so embedded in the usual fantasy tropes, that type of art, and I thought, you know what? No, they've they've just they've stepped out. They've made it slightly more comic book style art. And I thought, well, I'm a comic book fan as well, so I, you know, I try to appreciate it from that standpoint. And I, I do like it now. I do. It's, it's. And I'm going to go back to one of my Seanisms. It was a vibrant production, Ronan. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into some of the. Well, I mean, I again, it's just I appreciate the art direction. Why link it so closely to other games? They've got completely different styles. Just call it something anyway. Whatever. Just I'll let that go. I won't. Good. <laughs> the gameplay itself. The scale of each game, each actual encounter, is it within a small map? You're having a tactical fight within a small map. Is that what each scenario is? Yeah, yeah. It's not like a world setting. It's, yeah, you're, you are in a, a small area. So you're, you're attacking a dungeon or something, but you're coming in from the outside and working your way through a dungeon. Or The overall arc of the game is you're moving from town to town and going to different places to do different missions. But when you're... The individual missions are all kind of... I, I would liken it to something like Skyrim, where you're, you've got this big, massive world that you can you can go around, but you, when you do a mission, it's in a condensed little area that you... you but there's no, there's no gameplay going around, is there? There's no like, actual... Not really. There's decisions, but there's no actual gameplay. Sometimes they've, they've thrown in a thing where you can get waylaid, on your way to a place and then you have to do like a battle or you encounter somebody but that's pretty much you know, when you're actually traveling from to place to place there's not much of the game itself in there i'm not feeling that skyrim was a very good example by the way, that's like the <laughs> sandbox game so that's why i was trying to pull you back a bit on that comparison oh, yeah, yeah 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 fair enough you're going from enough. dot to dot to dot you're not sandboxing through a world and yeah okay. no no you're right you're right so when you're outside of that actual skirmish map, there's crafting, there's buy-in, there's whatever there might be. The pace of character progression. Are you progressing as you go through? I've seen suggestions that the pace is too slow. Your thoughts? I don't think I'm in a, in a position to strongly sort of decide one way or the other on this year. As I said, I've only played the first couple of missions. There's definitely a little bit of progression in, in terms of where you get an extra card, you get the ability to make different things, you get a sort of a new ability for your own character as well. And the thing that's the thing, you don't stick with one character. You can you can go from one character to another. The characters will that are supposed to be on that mission, whether you play them or not, they'll get an extra card anyway. So they're on the mission but you're just not playing with them sort of thing they're kind of there in spirit so you can jump to another character it might be a selling point for some who are like no i didn't like the gloomhaven type thing when i was just had to go there until that character eventually retired or died or it might be a bad thing because people really get invested in their character and you feel like oh yeah that character is now part of me and i want that character to succeed so i think it could go either way with that one okay yeah I have to think about that. <laughs> app use. Very heavy on the app. Yes. According to what I'm told. A lot of interacting with your device. Mm -hmm. In terms of balance between interacting with the device and interacting with the physical components. Although the app is brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. I think it might just tip onto 
more on the app side of things a little bit more than i would like every every battle to go into the battle screen you have to draw a, an arrow between you and the creature or the character that you want to battle and it's, it's every time you you want to do that and it did get i was the one operating the laptop that we had uh, using it and it, it did get a little bit like oh god i'm doing it again sort of thing it didn't detract from the game for me but it was just like i was the one always doing it and it did get a bit like okay yeah i'll do this one yeah I'll do that again so when when it wasn't my go i was just con- basically there sitting there with a laptop in my hands did it, did it break your immersion anyway of trying to play the game in front of you no because we were invested in how the characters did against those say like okay i'm attacking this person then then there'd be the sort of the drama and the tabletop drama of the the dice roll and how many hits are you oh, gonna wow get. and mentioning that just one dice you're rolling each of your characters their weapons will have like oh, like a, obviously a sword will have a slash effect and a hammer will have a sort of concussion effect or whatever a crush effect so each of the, the villains are susceptible to different types of, of uh, damage. So that one die roll, you, you basically you attack them, you see what they're susceptible to, and then all of a sudden, if I've got a, a sword and they're susceptible to slash damage, then I'm moving into that one thing, right, okay, I need to go to that one, you guys need to go over to that one, that one needs crush damage and you've got a massive mace, so you kind of, all right, yeah, we're going to do more damage on those. So it does it does ramp up. They've also got a defence value. It doesn't. It depends how well they do on the defence as well. So it's not just that I get a six, so I hit them for six. It's I get a six, I hit them for six, but they damage this, and they're not susceptible to my damage, and so they only do four damage. So it, it is slightly more involved than just one die roll. What the complaint was is that you're on the app for a long time, mm-hmm. and then you roll one dice, and that's the result. They're not mechanically, but in terms of the experience in the theatre, you're not having like exploding dice, and you're not... This is... Oh, I haven't played it. It could feel underwhelming. We were fine with it. But I can absolutely see the way the complaint lies there. I can I can see people getting a bit oh that was a bit of an anticlimax because once you start a battle you literally it's battle 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 and you and you so you're rolling that die multiple times and and you're seeing what extra things you can throw into the mix to maybe do do them a little bit more damage and what have you. So we were okay with it, but I completely understand that point of view and yeah I can't really argue against it. Before you sum up, Sean, yeah. I just got a little bit concerned that Descent, whatever this one's called, has broken Board Game Geek somehow. I don't know. There must be something wrong with the coding because on the rating system, all the numbers between three and eight have been removed. Right, I, <laughs> I suppose it is. You got to say it. It's dividing opinion. I think there's always going to be a backlash against the price point, and I think we, and you're always going to have your fantasy for it. Foyt, fantasy flight sort of fan people uh, who are going to say yeah, yeah it's, it's great and they're into the descent world even though it's not the descent world and yeah so I, I can see why but that seems a bit a bit much <laughs> for me Ronan I think I've given it away I, I'm really enjoying it I mean, I'm a sucker for anything with a really good table presence and this as I said is the best table presence I've ever seen in a board game but it was really easy to get into the app really did work really well it really had i'm saying really again we've talked about this it absolutely had that adventure feel so i have given it an 80 it's a very good game i'm still torn because 
80 out of 180 going to make me part with 130 quid. No, no, no. Wait, wait until it, it comes on the second-hand market, and then schnaffle it uh, i got other stuff to play. It's, okay. <laughs> it's too big. There's always other stuff. There's always other stuff. I don't. Like, it takes up four games worth of space, or five. I know. You're all right. It'd have to be really good for me to play. Anyway, okay. We're going to go on to Viscounts of the West Kingdom. We've been talking about the West Kingdom games for a long time since they started coming out, obviously. And also, Sean likes to talk about a Shem Phillips game. He's played this. I'm not, are you going to rate it? I don't think you are, are you? Sorry, I was on mute that time. Um, I'm not going to rate it, Ryan, because I played it so long ago, and I can barely remember my game of it so yeah I think that'd be a bit harsh to rate it on that I'll dismiss everything you have to say absolutely it's one to four players it's 60 to 90 minutes from SJ McDonald and Shem Phillips and from Gop Hill Games you are a Viscount and that's what represents you on the board and you're going to move your Viscount clockwise around the board a certain number of spaces and there are four actions you take when you finish. There are two on the inside track and there's two on the outside tracks. There's a tracks that go around the whole board and basically it's a big convoluted rounder and you can change your courses in and out. There's more spaces out than there are in. Lovely. You've got a deck of cards. The cards will be in your hand in your deck or on your tableau or in your discard pile. For each turn, you add a card from your hand to your tableau and it pushes the last card off the end, which may or may not trigger a special action or, or bonus for you. The cost of the card is what dictates how far you can move. You can always spend money to go further. You can always spend stuff to do more stuff within this game. And what you're then going to do is you're going to check the symbols that are available to you on the three cards in front of you and from other bonuses you've been able to get during the course of the game and might be available from the character card that's face up in the sector where your Viscount is because you can pay them to get rid of them and use their symbols as well. Why are you checking these things? Because there are four actions you can take. We'll talk about the two round the outside first. First one is trade. At every outside spot, there's a different way that you can trade, and it is always counting up your trade symbols, and there will be a ratio of trading in for resources or to do something with your cards to get rid of one, or there are debt or land cards which you can flip over to make more valuable. There are resources you can get in, and resources are what you're going to use to boost all of these actions. Now, coin is what you use for trade. There's no point trading coin for coin, so you can't trade for them, but you can trade for the other three resources which you can boost the following actions because the other thing you can do on the outside is you can build there are three different types of buildings every time you build a building it gives you some sort of bonus it may unlock symbols to boost up with your actions or it may make any other part of the game better also building will score you points when you go on the inside you can make manuscripts there are different colors of manuscripts that require that you have these holy symbols in your tableau and available to you or you spend ink wells you can spend stone to boost build by the way if you get three of a particular color they'll give you an ongoing boost and that basically will be an action symbol and some points at the end of the game however if you get different colors that's how you're going to score more points at the end of the game and the last thing you do is the noble action when you're on the inside there's a castle right in the middle of the board it's split into three different tiers. This is where you have workers. They're not really workers. They're just to go in the castle to score points and get your stuff. When you add workers into the castle, you have to then do this thing where you're checking each sector of the castle. And if you have three or more, then your, one of your workers ascends and the other split and they can trigger off more ascensions. And then as you go up, you get resources going up. If you get to the very top, you get a resource. But also the ones in the bottom tier are going to get your point. 
second tier two and the third tier three however once all the movements have been resolved you also check and see whether there are any of the tiers or the space in the tiers have become overcrowded and you can start kicking workers of any color out of there to get it back down to the level it should be there's other stuff going on in here there's a uh, virtue and vice which will push uh, it's very important actually a marker along and when uh, the virtue marker and the vice marker on your board clash you will get some sort of a bonus if you've been very virtuous you get lots of land cards which is very important because they're one of the two times of the game it's land and debt if you've been very vice ridden you'll get debt cards which is the other timer when either of those stacks runs out debt or land you're on the final round of the game and then depending on which one's run out the other one will be worth a few bonus points you'll get loads of points for your people in the castle you get points for your buildings you'll get points for getting those manuscripts and whoever scored the most points will be the winner of viscounts of the west kingdom sean started off 60 to 90 minutes i said there your first game is not going to be 60 to 90 minutes mm. your first game depending on player count is going to be two hours plus but I will say that having started this game and it being a bit of a, oh, there's, there's a lot here and I'm trying to work out what's going on. We have become more focused, I would say slightly better with each game. And the game length, although the point scoring is more or less the same, the game length is coming down and down and down, which is always a good thing. So your initial game, I know I know there's a lot to get your head round. But how did you find the rulebook? Explain that, because there, there were some complaints on the BGG comments about the rulebook itself. I think the only problem with the rulebook is it sometimes makes some assumptions. It's got a slightly strange structure to it in that it's explaining stuff to you that hasn't told you how the game works. Definitely could do with a better player aid. Uh, what you do is you draft cards at the beginning, which gives you your leader, which is your one unique card in your deck, and also gives you your starting resources and position and stuff. And on the other side is a very weird player aid. Which okay. is just symbols, which is more as confusing as anything else because the there's symbols for everything. So when you're trying to play, you're trying to grok what the symbols mean, but the player aid is all in symbols. So is it as good as the Bunny Kingdom player aid? <laughs> which is just the times tables. <laughs> the same, same in smartphone ink. So don't, you know, true, don't, don't true, yeah. That's not the player aid, that's, that's the shield. <laughs> <laughs> and so in terms of learning, I didn't find it too bad, to be honest, but I do wish i hadn't tried to teach it on my first game because knowing the game better you can it's same as most games but you know the structure better and i feel like the first game would have been much better for everyone if i i knew it better and i was able to teach it I, of course but someone's got to get over that first hurdle of learning it mm. and playing it once but now i feel like i teach it a lot better than the first time i taught cool. it well i did try and go into the bgg ratings just to see which of the the three of this trilogy was was rated the highest just to see where people were coming from and that didn't help at all because they're pretty much all the same <laughs> i think this, yeah this is this is 8.1 paladins is 8.1 and architects was 7.8 man he's got some kind of weird psychological twist on the world of games <laughs> where all these games get highly rated because I know a lot of people who don't like Paladins I know a lot of people who don't like Architects I know lots of people who don't like lots of his games that people tend to like certain style of his games mm. and not like the other ones because because they, they're they do vary I know they've all got the same theme and same artwork but they're very varied experiences definitely oh, and yeah. for them to get such high ratings is I'm very confused <laughs> so I've, I've I've been through a few of the 
the usual tropes. And uh, this one, because I just couldn't remember my game. I remember how I won, and I think you're going to get back onto that, because I, I think we had a very similar experience to the one that you've been having on winning the game. But one of the comments was that there's lots of mechanics that feel useless and too many actions stroke lots of actions. So people were, some people were saying there's too many actions. It's terrible. Oh, it's mind blowing. And then on the flip side, in the good comments, people were going, yeah, lots of actions. Fantastic. I feel like I could do my own thing. How'd you go with that? I, uh, when you first play, I felt there's a lot to take in and trying to work out how they all go together because every time you take an action there's like several ways in which you can take it and do you dismiss a card or do you want to recruit it and as you play it more it clarifies down and i found that when you first play like your deck manager is a bit haphazard and you're sort of hiring cards because they look a bit cool Mm. then you start realizing really there's two ways to score points and you're gonna have to focus on one of them and they're the two inside actions you're either going to be focusing really laser beamed on making manuscripts because they can score you a decent set of points if you get a couple of sets of them Hmm. or you're going to be going into the castle and the outside actions the trading and the building really are just there to support what your main point scoring is going to be which is going to be via church or noble which is why this is how I would teach it and without wanting to lead strategy too much so I think they're both actually valid points it can feel overwhelming Focus on how you're going to score points. With that sort of thing in mind, but what, what I felt when I played here and go go harking back, in just the mechanical side of it, everything was quite integrated quite well. So when I, I didn't feel overwhelmed because I felt like it all made sense and it was all quite streamlined and, and smooth is more is the better word. Smooth in, in how, how you everything sort of comboed together and why you would do this to do that and that's the thing that I felt was was strong about the game it's it's one of those games which was a bit of a stumble on the first game turns go very very quickly once you know the game it's it's I moved two because you've got time to plan because people can't really mess with you if they get the same place where you are it doesn't really do anything other than you can rearrange your cards I I know what I'm doing next turn and I know what I'm doing next turn I know every time it goes around I know what I'm doing I'm moving two I'm doing this I'm trading that there's my boost that's this that's turnover your go they're 10 second turns a lot of the time and that is part of the smoothness of it and and you're right because it all sort of shows you what you're doing the graphical design is very good there might be a curve like you said a hump to get over to learn it once you've learned it it just flows apart from one thing yeah so so should we should we address the elephant in the room <laughs> should we address the castle in the middle of the board? <laughs> i this is the bit i was alluding to i i had exactly the same experience given that i've only played it once i haven't really investigated so i'm still holding out that you're wrong about this but go on tell us what, what the issue is so when you start playing getting workers into the castle is the most obvious way to score points and it's the most obviously easy way to score points and it's a way of scoring points that also gives you feedback of stuff constantly because every time you promote a worker you're getting something back for having done that you can get quite a lot of good stuff back for having done that the other way would be land by the way which would be the obvious way to score points but there's not enough cards in the game there's a set number of cards put in each game and there's not enough cards to build up loads and loads of points with that. So really, you look at it and you go, it's the castle. Here's the problem, though. When you go in the castle, it become a feedback loop. Because once you start getting up to tier 3, you take a gold every time. Getting into the castle is cheaper than any other action. You can do it for just one power, for one symbol. There's nothing else you can do with one symbol. The buildings cost 3, 5, or 7 symbols. The manuscripts cost between 3 and 7. 
trade whatever you can do it but you need at least two so it's the cheapest it instantly gives you back resources once you start doing it for a little while and it is the slowest because instead of just like here i go i take this manuscript here's my bonus i'm done i put three in they split this one goes up that causes three there they split this goes up that causes another split there this goes up here oh yeah i'll take a resource here that causes three there i'll put this one up there that gets me something back those are split there now there's three there so that moves and that goes and now there's four in there so i need to choose someone to kick out and choose someone from here to kick out oh oh because i did that you and it just goes on and on and on because at the end people rush to the castle and they're taking every single action is this I move, I move, this splits, I get one of them, this one splits up, I get And you're just, this is like a completely different game. And it's not just turn length, because it slows the game right down. It also leaves a bit of taste in the mouth, because there's not much interaction in the rest of the game. You can see what other people are doing, it's good to do what other people aren't doing. But you're kicking other people's workers out. That means that on a, on a turn, it's possible for me to score 12 points. 14 points putting workers in but I might take 7 points of you and it's huge and it feels like it feels mean and it feels unnecessary and it feels clumsy and it slows a very slick game down and cause disgruntlement and I just think it doesn't belong in this game that's that's quite a large section of the game that you think doesn't belong in it though so to not have that, in it. and I know I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think he'd have to. It would be a different game, wouldn't it? Just have the castle work differently. Don't kick other people out, and don't have such big instant rewards. Every time you get to tier three, people are going to take a gold. They'll just move one or two spaces around the track, and then put more workers in. Because the more workers you have in there, the more likely you are to explode. And and once you get an overwhelming amount in there. You get to a point with saturation where every time I put one or two in, I'm kicking one or two up, kicking one or two up, and taking stuff back every time. So I'm just in a feedback loop. And it, that castle needed to work differently. I think from from my one game of it, I did get to the castle first, and I established myself in the castle first. And that was kind of dabbling, but she thought, right, okay, Sean's gone for that strategy. I'm going to try something else. So she, she pulled along and did her thing. But I can remember her frustration that, uh, that I was just constantly... She was like, oh, everything I do does seems to be so much harder than what you're doing. And I won easily. And that was that was the sort of takeaway. We really enjoyed the mechanics of the game. But the takeaway was that I won too easily. So we were going to explore it a little bit more. But we never got around to it. Yeah, you can challenge by doing manuscripts. But you have to be like, I'm doing this from, from the absolute dot build the one building that boosts my manuscripts every time i'm going to trade i'm going to trade for inkwells or money my money i'm going to use just to recruit things that boost there's one that for example that allows you to hand in one inkwell to get two manuscripts thingies back which is really handy or anything that boosts up that action and then you, you use the killing cards out your deck to get rid of anything that's not manuscript and you're just trading manuscript trading manuscript same as you in the castle you trade castle trade castle but castle's easier because it's giving you back the gold that you need to do it yeah. so you're right it just fills uphill okay so anyway at the end of the day Viscounts of the West Kingdom I really enjoy the process it's quick play and it's thinky and it's fun and then you run headlong into the castle wall the <laughs> castle rush starts the whole game slows down a loop 
people are mean to each other and that leaves a bad taste in the mouth which means it's terribly hard to rate for me I have got better to the point where I did manuscripts last time and beat the two players who went for castle so I'm like right it's possible I still didn't enjoy the process of watching people kick each other out of the castle I just didn't I didn't like it and I like interaction in games but not where it doesn't meet anyway my rating is a 66 short I don't know how valid that is there's lots I like there's bits I hate just very quickly before we move on, Ronan, a lot of the ratings, the good ratings of this game on BGG were from people who played it solo. So I, I just wonder if this is at its very heart is a solo game because it would take away a lot of that stuff. I don't know, mate, because I haven't played it solo. No, no, fair <laughs> enough. I was just, was, well. I was just ruminating I mean, that's a that. big thing of the last... It's a big thing in the last two years. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, we, talked, we talk about it... Did we talk about it on the last recording or with Matthew that's next episode or somewhere? We had a big chat about the fact that he rated the game highly, but then it turned out he'd only played it solo. Mm. And that has affected a lot of the uh, the ratings of the last couple of years. Definitely. Because that's how most people have been playing. 100%. 100%. So, you know. Cool. Yeah. Right. We're going to move on. Uh, it's a cooperative game that I taught Ronan almost well and but made the game much harder than very well very very well <laughs> but give, we got one rule wrong that really really affected his gameplay anyway it's intrepid it's from uproarious games and designer is Jeff Beck what intrepid is you're in the international space station and you represent one of the countries that are going up international international space station and something goes wrong whether it's a, a solar storm or a meteor meteorite shower something is going to start going wrong and you are depending on the player count if it's two players you're going to be looking after two of the systems each and then you're going to divvy it up of three and four players as well and so you've got like things like nutrition and power and climate control and all of those uh, different things are you're going to be responsible for looking after and the way you're going to do that is you're going to roll dice the amount of dice is dependent on what character what country you you bring into space station and the way that you manipulate those dice is going to be different between each of the countries and there is a gradient you start off on the easy ones and there's there's really difficult ones uh, as you as you get better at the game why are you rolling these dice? You're trying to build up a, as much resource onto your station as you can so when you account for the drain that the space station is generally going to take on these systems and the power and what have you then you want to be in the plus so you don't want to be in the in the near to the minuses and if you're in the minuses the space station blows up every round you're going to flip over a disaster card which is going to hit your systems and make you disable them and even even destroy individual systems within your sort of capacity and your control and these systems are all the ways to manipulate the dice and to add dice to give you that power to win the game you are going to have three missions and those three missions are going to be based around one two or all of the different powers and you have to over overachieve in whatever one it says to be able to progress the mission and you have to do three missions to win the game and it's all very hard and it's all very foreboding and i think it gave ronan and his family quite the headache the other day <laughs> why is it so hard Sean? <laughs> it's space it's unforgiving what do you expect it is indeed the final frontier. It really is. <laughs> okay. Lots of thoughts about Intrepid after my first play. 
I will kick off with the cooperative element is very strong. Massively. And very uh, thematic as well, because obviously you're stuck in this metal contraption uh, orbiting Earth, and you've got to help each other. It's only you and, and your, your colleagues up there. You've got to help each other. Yes, you're responsible for your own station, but... If there's what blows up, you're blowing up too. So everybody has got to think about what everyone else is doing. And there are ways that you can pass sort of help on, isn't there, Ryan? So you've got this central part of the board where you can place a die of, uh, if I place a four, then Ronan can pick up a four from his selection of dice. And right, okay, now he's got that four to use. And there's, there's various ways we can help each other. There are. And what helps with that is... The gameplay is actually quite simple, but that is a, a two-edged sword, I think, Sean, in that, do I actually have that many choices on my turn? I think no. And this is a, a something that came up. We played, uh, myself, Matthew, and Natalie played a game the other day, and that was Matthew's contention. He, he came out saying, like, I wasn't sure how many actual choices I was making. Another aspect of the game is you can build up your part of the station, bring in new machines that are going to help you along the way, which is a minor choice. But even that becomes more of a group activity because when you build something on your system, it's going to drain somebody else's system. And I think that's really thematic, by the way. Everything becomes a conversation in this game rather than I'm making choices for myself. And then on top of that, I think you've also got it's an efficiency puzzle, isn't it? You you have to be as efficient with your dice, and I think there's a right way and a wrong way to play. Maybe do some of the aspects to it. it absolutely, an efficiency puzzle, but an efficiency puzzle which has got random elements coming in. If you start a mission and you need oxygen, for example, what happens if the random elements keep hitting the only oxygen tiles you've got and, and reduce their capacity? You can be, I think, in a situation where you literally can't do the mission just because you've been randomly beaten up by the game. And that you have to be aware of that, that this stuff is just going to happen. Definitely. Again, harking back to my game with Matthew, you suffered the very same sort of thing that Matthew did in that every die roll, because there's an, an eight-sided die, which is called the disaster die, rather dramatically, and when you roll that, that section of... So well, it depends, depends four, on the scenario. happened to... It depends on the Oh, well, true, true. That's, yeah, that's true. The ones we that, that I've played, certainly the the Learner game and the Meteorite Shower, which is what we uh, Ronan played as well, uh, it hits that section of, of the space station. So if, if I roll a four and Ronan's uh, machines uh, are in section four, each one of those gets hit or destroyed or incapacitated. So if that section keeps getting bombarded it's very hard and everybody has to support that person as much as they can by either allowing them to buy more stuff to boost their area or trying to get them some way of taking the damage off them and what have you the other part of that if you start getting hammered even if you're scraping by is that the worse you do the less capacity, which basically is, I don't know why it's called capacity, it's a very strange choice and confusing when you're learning. But capacity is your resources for spending to improve, to get more dice, to get newer tiles, to just generally do better. The worse you do, the less capacity you have. So if you start getting in a spiral where the games hit you and you're just eking by, you're only going to get worse. Yeah, and I think that's where 
there's a balance where you start the missions because you don't have to start the missions until you instigate how when they start and i think that is is key to this game is when you start the missions so you need to build up as much capacity and as, as much resource and get all your things in as, as, as much as possible and then start the missions. But if you start them too late, you're not going to have time before the, before the deck, the disaster deck runs out and the stadium station blows up. So You've, you've nicely led me into <laughs> you know, a thematic element that I hate Go on. That, that has got no explanation. So you build these resources up on your turn you then have to spend them to deal with stuff and there's interesting ways that you get drained and that. Then everything resets down at the end of each turn. So you have got no constant. There's no building. Well, there is building of other elements, but in terms of the resources, why do they reset every turn? It's just completely unthematic. It is unthematic because you're always going to have the, the same drain on your systems. So it's like the next day you're going to have eight drain on your systems. Your drain's not going to go away. So, no, the drains. I didn't say the drain got away. I said, well, well, if I've produced this much nutrition, what's happening to it? Why has it gone? Honestly, I think if you didn't have that, it would be so easy. You'd fly through the game. It oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. No, no, no. It's, I didn't say it as a mechanism. It has to be in there. Otherwise, it would overwhelm the system. I mean, thematically. Oh, thematically. Um, for this whole thing. This is an experience game. Mm. This is a game that you're telling the story and you have to believe in what's going on because it's very dry. It's just a math puzzle. So unless you get that experience of immersion of we're on a space station, you're just solving a math puzzle. Yeah. So to me, they have to work hard on the thematic elements. That's what that's maybe that's it's because that's why I bought it. I bought it because I what the theme is so oh, I'm on the space station. It's going wrong. We're astronauts. We've got to work together. I love that whole idea. So the thematic elements that great are great in more against me because that was the big. I selling think point you've overthought that a little bit. Uh, it didn't. It didn't. It, it just. They never explained it. it. Didn't, oh, no, never, it didn't no occur to me. To you know what? Until until you brought it up, it didn't even occur to me. I just thought like it, it's another day. I've got to generate the same amount of power as I did yesterday, maybe a little bit more because I've got more more systems to to cater for. Or somebody else is putting a drain on my machine. Didn't think about it too much, to be honest. <laughs> okay, couple more comments. Mm. When it came out. When it, they, it's only two missions were packaged. In the end, we got three because it, we, we both kickstarted it. Yes. Variety was a concern. Now, I remember when we were back in it, we had a chat and saying, there's only two missions. You know, Is it going to be very saving? Mm. What are your thoughts on variety from gameplay? We did. You're right. You're absolutely right. We did have a, a conversation and, it, and we expressed a concern before the game. It, first off, I haven't played the Solar Storm or any or anything beyond that. I've just played the Meteor Shower and the Learning Game. Learning Game introduced you to a few elements of the game, but it wasn't really a full um, hit at the game. The Meteor Shower, I did have a few concerns about the disasters that happened. Were all very say, similar to each other. They were all sort of hit a system, tippy tappy, or disable a system, roll the disaster die. In that, I will say that the disaster die in itself, because it's going to hit different systems and you're going to get different people reacting in different ways, it helps with that. But I think I really do need to go onto the solar storm to, to experience that, to get a real feel if they're going to change it up. Okay, fair enough. My last thoughts mm. are game trays are really, really annoying. It's like going in the shower with a pair of waders on sitting on a sofa with the plastic still on it 
going to bed in rubber pants. What are you talking about, you maniac? Oh, it's just all coated in ugly clear plastic. Some of the I love a lot of the game. Love Uh, is that clear plastic coating is ugly. You won't talk me out of it. The box is at least fifty percent bigger than it needs to be. It doesn't even hold the compartment. Where'd you put the cards? In the card compartment. Yeah, they don't fit. They do. The, the round tokens, they don't fit. The longer cards for the missions have got no place to go. The longer ones, you just sit them on top. Box is 50% bigger than it needs to be. I don't... Game trays. Why? Because they're amazing. And you're not going to talk me out of that. I, I get the idea that you look at game trays, you go, okay, do you know what? If we had like these little things to hold each individual dice and like, tokens or whatever, that would be quite cool. All right, I can accept that. And an individual one for each country. Well, you're making my box bigger than it needs to be, but uh, the, the coating everything in the clear plastic to put everything into, I can just put a tile on the I board. thought that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, so when I opened that game, I literally did a, a go, oh, wow, that is amazing. I loved it. That's That's brilliant. More games should do that. The resource wheel thing that just buckles your board and is ugly. I don't need you to to delineate every little. I can move a cube. You're all right, mate. I could. I got it. Minus eight. You I've got. I got that. Minus ten now. Misery. I don't. It buckles the board. It, and it's hard to store, and it just. <laughs> I don't need it. Like you, know, you I think you look at game trays, and they're like, oh, it'll be cool to have them hold these couple of bits. Those couple of bits are cool, and then. So many publishers go, now let's put plastic on everything. Let's just cover everything in plastic. No, no, please don't. Please don't. I don't want you to do that. It's okay. I don't, I don't smash my cubes all over this parish. I just, I can leave them on a track. It's okay. We have very different opinions on this and I think we should leave it right there. intrepid i for me i've got no score by the way because i haven't played it enough i don't know which way it's going to go for me i have some concerns i have some hopes i think the strengths of the game appeal to what i like in gaming but i think it might be difficult to find a group that will enjoy it as much as i do and i'm gonna have to go on from there and i wish the box was a lot smaller and it could have been get rid of your copy come up to my house me, you, Matthew, Nat, let's do it. We will play this because I love it. Intrepid had a great production. I thought it was very thematic. It was really cooperative, really. You really have to do your own job, but you have to work together. Two of the down points, my minuses, Ronan, and we, and we did talk about this, and I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. So much to remember, and there's no proper, real good guide that sticks out and because you, you forget constantly doing things out of order so that's there's no decent player yeah. right, is what you're so you're constantly doing things out of order and it, it's very easy because there is so many steps to each round but other than that I absolutely love it and it was giving me those moments where I think about the game afterwards and I thought oh god if we'd have done this at this time and we'd done that and really good feeling for this going forwards I have given this also an 80 uh, so, uh, what did you give Descent? 80. What did you give Intrepid? Um, 80. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> We're going to revisit that in a second. Good. Right, 
Next game is Sub Astral, which I teased earlier. Two to five players, 20 minutes, Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle from Renegade Game Studios. It's the spiritual successor to the two-player drafting game Stellar, and this indeed is a drafting game. There are eight biomes in the game. The deck of cards comes in numbers one to six in these eight different biomes. The number of cards in the game is player dependent, and there are six offer columns available to you. On your turn, you play a card, it goes into the number column which is on it, so if you play a four, it goes into the four column, and you take a column of cards, either from the left or the right of it, depending upon which side you go, those cards are either going to come into your hand, which is the only way cards come into your hand, in order for you to draft cards again later, obviously, or they're going to go into your scoring tableau. When they go in your scoring tableau, they're going to score in two different ways. From left to right, you're going to place these biomes. The number of different biomes you have contiguously in each row is going to score points. So if I have one of each from one to seven, that will score me a set number of points. If they then have a second card of biomes in my tableau, not they're not numbered now, this is just how I've set them up. If I've got a one, two, three, no four, and a five, six, I only score the one, two, three. That's my second set. So I have to make sure that I chain them together. However, alternatively, I score columns as well. And my longest columns are going to score. Each card in that column is going to score a number of points equal to what column it is in. So I want to have long columns on the right-hand side because if I have loads in column six, each of those cards is worth six points. However, I need to build on the left-hand side if I want to score the contiguous scoring. And it's a balance of that which is going to win you the very quick game of Sub Astral, which Sean... You can take your Cascadia artwork, I'm afraid, because I'm going to say Beth Sobel has smashed it out of the park. Subastral looks gorgeous. I agree with that. It does. It looks it looks absolutely beautiful. Funny thing about this one is, I don't know if this is another Renegade issue. Hardly any owned copies on BGG. There's only 108 ratings in total for this one i know it's quite new on the market but it just seems a bit sparse it seems that not a lot of people seem to be talking about it we could be talking about stella couldn't we yeah true because that's <laughs> the same thing flew under the radar no one talks about it it's a lovely two-player drafting game there should be a big market for it it's got good reviews the dukes of dice just did their well they didn't just they, they did a re-review of it you know they look back a year anyway they still like it stella should be a hit Subastral, same thing. Complete lack of attention. I don't understand. One of the one of the things that sort of come in, and, and this phrase was used over and over and over again in, in in what comments there were, and it was very hard to dig out comments. Beer and pretzel game. It's one of those games you can throw down on a pub table, crack out, have a laugh, not really concentrate too much on it, and and enjoy yourself. Yeah. No, maybe. No, you go ahead. You don't concentrate. It's fine. I will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> no you're right it, it, it takes two minutes to teach each turn is very quick and it is in terms of decisions very simple you're just why am i picking these up or are they going down on my tableau i would say to play well you want to be aware of others priorities because every time you're putting a card down you are creating the opportunities for scoring for the other players around the table and if you're not looking at and going okay do you know what their eight column could be their longest and thereafter, I don't know, the Tundra or whatever. If I give them the chance here to draft two Tundra, which is pretty obvious, it's not very deep. If I give them the chance to take two Tundra, they're going to score 16 points with them, and I don't want that to happen. So while you're considering what column to add to, to do your drafting, you are looking at the other players' 
tableaus and wearing like, well, I don't want to set you up too well. And that is always a consideration. So a comment on BGG, and it, it was one of those ones that was kind of, I think it was a five or a six they gave it. Gameplay subtle, almost scripted. With lower player counts. Right, okay. So this does not work as well with two or three players because it's a very set number of cards and first row has to go wide because it's going to score you points but also it's going to give you opportunities to make your columns at the end longer so everyone wants to get diversity in biomes before specializing with two or three players there's not enough cards in the deck to do that so everyone ends up with relatively similar tableaus which are wide with a couple of columns here and there still interesting i still like it but with four or five players, it opens up the diversity much more. It goes, there are more cards, it goes a bit longer. Mm. You've got the options of going, oh, I can get a, a column of six here, rather than you're very limited with two or three. What you can score and how you score. So I'll say that's possibly, they didn't play with enough players. Yep. Uh, okay, that sounds cool. Right, so last one, and I, I did let the cat out of the bag on this. I should have kept it for the show to get your answer. But not everyone's a miserable sausage like you, Ronan. This person said, I appreciated the UV spot on the box. Baffled. <laughs> Didn't you say there was similar comments about Stella? No, I said it was about sub oh, right. Someone tweeted it. I'm, I presume it's the same. But unless there's two people, <laughs> two people in the world who are excited about the UV spotting on the box of Sub-Astro. Well, I, I find it hard to fathom there's one. I, How can I, there I tell be you two? what, now, I would not buy a game... Unless there's UV spotting on that box. That's a I lot. bet there's UV spotting on the box of Descent that cost you another 40 quid. <laughs> $50 on top, yes. <laughs> if you like UV spotting, mate, that's cool. That's all good. Whatever makes you happy. Who am I to judge? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> so there you go. Look, Sub-Astral. It's a quick, clever card drafting game from Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. This is twice they've done it in a row. By all accounts, Fleet the Dice game is one of the best Roll and Rise of a bit deeper. I love what they did with Fleet. It can be a bit clunky, but I think it's a very clever game. They are, they've got three sisters coming, haven't they? I, I, my eyes are open for it. Because they keep it up with just very clever little twists that work very well. My family love this. This is a big hit with them. And Sub-Astral is... Hold on, let me double-check here. Now, we didn't share our scores before. Maybe we should have, Sean. What did you give Descent? So, Sub-Astral is 80, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like giving it like a... Oh, I can't give it an 81 because of the two 81s last time. And I can't take a point away and make it 79 because that feels mean. So, <laughs> 82 or 79, I can't... I don't know. It's, it's an 80. Anyway, so that's, let's go so on. So, that's three pit hits. <laughs> pit hits. What is a pit hit? I think 80 and above should be a pit hit. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so what got pit hits last time? I've thrown away my notes. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Good. Carry on. Right, we're going on to um, a game that, well, who knows? It might be another pit hit. It's called Dive, and it's designed by Romain Katadijan and Anthony Peroni and comes from Sit Down! Exclamation mark. Yeah, yeah. I know why you did it. I know. You are a diver in the game, and you're diving down, and you're trying to get to something down the down in the ocean you try to get as deep as you can basically down the ocean and you want to avoid sharks but you like turtles apparently the game in itself is these series of these perspex sort of clear plastic sort of perspex sheets and you put them 
on top of the box in, into a little holder and they stack on top of each other and each of these sheets has various sea animals some of them have got big holes in them so it's more transparent what their what their things are underneath them but you're you're looking down essentially and what you are trying to do is work out exactly how low in terms of each of these sheets the sharks are and the turtles are the sharks you want to avoid and the, the turtles you want to sort of double down with the amount of score you attribute to that level so the way you're going to do this behind a, behind your player screen you've got all these tokens and they're marked one two three four five and on the back of them is a, a picture of a shark with one two three four five so if you think that level one has nothing on it of interest then you will just place your your lowest value so a one but without the shark side up on it but when you get down to level three if you think oh there's definitely a shark on level three from what i can see so you want to flip the shark side over and that negates the shark i don't know what it is it's a, a punch to the shark's nose or something now with the turtles what you want to do is stack your discs because you want to get as many, much of that, those numbers onto the turtle so my three and my four might go on level four because i spotted a red turtle or a green turtle down there and that's the way you play the game and you reveal your things and then we take off tile by tile should you get to a a shark and have a shark brilliant you can continue diving if you should get to a, a shark tile or a, and you have not said that there's a shark tile you stop immediately and you are done sir there's a few extras that we didn't bother playing with but that pretty much is a whole game and you score points for the level you've reached on each dive looks gorgeous ronan gorgeous maybe it does when you first take it out of the box Sean. yes it does it but let me tell you <laughs> i've been reading the bgg comments oh i wish i had and i find myself very very concerned I'm very concerned about scratchiness of cards. Oh, we, we there are we didn't get that far. There are more paragraphs, <laughs> more paragraphs about the scratchiness of cards than I would have thought possible. Okay, <laughs> that, I, we I didn't get to that stage. I mean, they're talking about you take them out, you take them out of the box, and they they immediately start scratching. Oh, really? Oh, well. these things must be made of I I don't know what <laughs> petals. <laughs> Because the concern, Sean, is raging in the community. That would really damage the game. Oh, no. There's no game. There isn't a game. Is there a gimmick? It's, it's a gimmick, yeah. It's, it's absolutely a gimmick in a box. I first saw it on Twitter. I got this game, and we were so excited about it, and they were showing it off on their Twitter feed, and they were like, yeah, look how beautiful it is. And I thought, oh, my God, that really does look stunning. And I was on holiday in Oxford, and I went into Thirsty Meeples, and there, lo and behold, ah, oh, just literally the guy was putting it on the shelf. They just arrived in stock. And I was like, bing, that's me. It was only 20 quid or something. Right, we'll take that home. We can play that in the hotel room. Uh, first game in, Ronan. Kind of looked at Nat, she looked at me and we're like, that wasn't a game. <laughs> it's just, after the first play, yeah, we made some mistakes in the first play, but you adjust, you adjust, you know how deep everything is pretty much immediately. It's really punishing if you do get one wrong, you're pretty much out of the game because, but that's it, you don't do any more, you, you don't do any diving. It's boring. Even James was bored. James was so excited to play this game. So I know I'm on a rant here. 
James was so excited to play this game because he just he thought it was beautiful. And we thought eventually, like, Tommy, because he loves deep sea creatures and he, he can name them all and he's really fascinated by sharks as well as and whales. We thought, yeah, this would be a great game to hold on. When he's a little bit older, we'll play with Tom. Honestly, I think Tom would be bored. He'd, he'd look at it and go, that, that's rubbish. That's a load of rubbish. And uh, I don't think there's much more to say about it, Ronan, unless you've got any insight. <laughs> I was scratching this at cards is all I got from That's all right. Nothing else. That's fair enough. 28. That's generous. There, is, is, I think probably is quite generous. 28. There you go. That's that's my, that's my all for the look of the game. And But you're saying that... So now we know you're never giving lower than a 28. <laughs> You've limited your score to... Okay. 28 to 80, apparently. <laughs> Have you... Taken the rating system from Descent or BGG and you use it, the missing <laughs> bit. And, yeah, you think about that. There's a joke there, is there a but joke I can't really make it out. My city, Sean, my city, Knizia, Temps yep. Cosmos, two to four players, 30 minutes per session. Have you been watching What If? I, w- I have not, but my son has, and he says it's absolutely fantastic and he loves it. Uh, okay, so I'm not going to do my Doctor Strange jokes about twisting time then and uh alfred molina turning up i'm just gonna i'll put a line through all these yeah, jokes I I had about what if and twisting time and because i've got 12 plays of it you see and next episode i'll have had nine plays and i was gonna make it real clever about fraction timeline and... no no i think it okay. probably should, no it's a polyomino legacy <laughs> game sure <laughs> is it in which yes yes it is yeah in which uh, there's three colours of buildings and there's a deck of cards and a card gets flipped over and it says you must place this building and it starts off and you do it on your own little board and everyone's got their own set of polyominoes and there are rules that you want to cover up rocks and leave trees uncovered and you can build here and you can't build there and every single game every single one has got a very slight change of rules but every three games there's a much bigger change of rules so you're just doing the same thing you're just flipping and playing tiles flipping and playing tiles and trying to get them together you're trying to make contiguous groups of the same color and you're trying to surround certain things and you're going to get these special tiles that come in after a couple of chapters that you must get in if you haven't got space for them then your game's over you can pass some tiles but it'll cost you a point but it's worth doing usually every time because you want to make your own plans what's going on and then suddenly it misses with your plans and you can't plan perfectly and it builds up and you get more stuff on your board but it never goes beyond that very quick play time and even though you're becoming very familiar with the game every single one gives you something slightly different to think about and you're going through the story Story of your city and you're going to go through different eras whereby different resources become available and different buildings become available and you're going to exploit the natural resources of the land and it's all a wonderful story that isn't a story at all it is just a lovely poly puzzle game there are eight chapters overall you will play 24 games of this and your legacy is done so that's about 12 hours of gameplay roughly and at the end of each individual game the person who's done best according to that game's rules is going to get a couple of progress points. Whoever seconds getting get another progress points. And as the game goes on, there are other ways of scoring progress points. And I presume at the end of it all, whoever's got the most progress points is going to be the winner. But I'm not entirely sure because I'm only halfway through. But I'm reviewing it now because I think 12 plays is enough to tell you about the flavour of any game. Sean, starting off, if you're a legacy game and you are super quick to play, that is a bonus, although it didn't work for the initiative. 
<laughs> well, yeah, indeed. I think it is a bonus, hundred percent. Yes, because I think a lot of legacy games are so involved, and uh, you really got to make a commitment to get like same group every every time. And really plow through them sometimes. I'll go off. I'm I'm sold on this one. When I get paid next, I'm gonna. That was a good rules introduction. In which case. it was. You sold me. No, I've, I. You and Matthew talked about it. In uh, well, no, spoiler, no, no, we didn't. didn't. No, we didn't. No, no, <laughs> yeah. we didn't. I know Matthew Jude is a big fan of 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 this one, and he he don't. You know, you don't. No, no, no. no. Um, You've heard, heard it's good, it's a good game from it? other people <laughs> okay. around and stuff. So I nearly picked it up at the UKGE. I thought, oh, did I have enough money? Probably not. So when I get paid, I'm going to be picking this one up. It's before, even though I've said that, now let's pretend I haven't said that, Ronan. Before I ask you some questions based on BGG comments, comparison to other polyomino games, so you've got like your Baron Parks, your Isla Cats, and your Patchworks. Tell me why I need this, because I've got all those. Uh, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> why do you need this one? <laughs> I don't, you don't need it. No one needs any no, game. All right. You do, you do why should Why do. should I have it? Why, why, why will I? What's the USP? Is the USP is the the shared experience. You're you're all facing the same problems, right? Which is slightly different, I think, to other popular games. You've all got to fit in the same stuff. You're all trying to score in the same way. So although you're competing with each other, there's actually a sense of camaraderie because you're like, no, why is that how come out now when you're all struggling, you can't fit the four square in? Or why have all the little ones come out early? We know we're not going to be able to fill out awkward gaps. Or I can't believe you've beaten me to that. Now I'm going to have to change this and do that. And how are you doing so well? This is weird. Or how are you doing so badly? That is also weird. Because you're all enjoying a very similar experience, although you're going on your own paths through it. Cool. In that sense is it difficult to come from behind some people have said it's difficult to come from uh, behind and once you're behind you're behind and and what have you i don't know because i haven't played the whole game but so far actually i started off really strong and what happens is that when you lose you get better modifications so you get opportunities to score more points certain buildings become more valuable you get more stuff on your board which you can score around and actually, I'm feeling now that it's almost possible for me to win the last set of games because my board is so much worse than the other players. Rachel basically had a terrible start and got all the bonuses, and now she's doing much, much better. So actually, I thought the catch-up mechanism, it may just be the imbalance that we had initially, but felt slightly, if it was a criticism, slightly heavy-handed. So I disagree with that. But to this point. Cool. Two more points. So one is... So I'll always look at comments talking about how a game looks. Um, a few comments saying it's dull, it was bland. But interestingly, none of those comments had any, mentioned anything to do with the actual gameplay. So I'm wondering if they're just looking from it from afar. I don't know. Uh, how does it look <laughs> on the table? Is it, is it nice? Is it not? Is it just meh? It's fine. fine. Yellow, red and blue buildings. I mean... It's functional. It's quite clear what everything yeah. is. They're all clearly delineated. I think it's quite nice actually. You get to add little stickers onto your board and sense of ownership. Okay, yeah, it always looks fine to me. My last sort of point stroke question. I think, having read all the comments and gone through them, I think this suffers from some people judging it as from the eternal game, which is just the the base game you keep replaying and you play the same game over and over again. 
and some people judge it as a legacy. Now, the legacy people tend to rate it higher, and the people who've just played the Eternal game tend to rate it lower. Does that mean that it has to be a legacy and you can never really justify it as just playing it as the Eternal game? I've never played the Eternal game. I'm not sure why you'd buy it for just the Eternal yeah. game. <laughs> There's this whole game in there that just takes half an hour to play. Why would you not start playing the legacy version? I don't know, mate. Because I guess what you're saying, like, it just the gameplay could be samey without the constant rule changes. Yeah. I think that's true. I think okay, it does need the legacy elements, but they're very well done. But if you're buying a legacy game to only play the Eternal game, I, I, I can't. I can't help you. <laughs> Nobody can. <laughs> All right, what, what, what's your final thoughts on My City then? It's fantastic. And once we're done with this, I'm going to buy another copy. And I might buy another copy after that. Cool. And it's a 92. A 92, sure. 92. A 92. It's flipping great, as I tweeted out this week. That is definitely a pit hit. That is a bit hit, yes. <laughs> I want to hear from you when you play it. I think you'll definitely ought to play it with James. The only concern I have with James is that if he doesn't do as well, that it's quite obvious he's not scoring the points. Right. So, um, and you definitely, there is, you know, the skill matters in the game. Cool. Okay, brilliant. Okay, I think we've we've had some, a pretty good standard of game. There was a couple of low points, but other than that, I think they've all gone quite well. I started low and uh, and built to a crescendo <laughs> well done you well done you so this is the time when we usually start talking about our the comings and goings in the pit um shall i start with, oh, just, with no no that... just just games that come into our collection not the coming that's, that's too much no okay, it's enough. a family show okay <laughs> well i finally got it ronan i tracked it down I talked to you about I was really upset about missing uh, out on this particular Kickstarter and I finally got myself an English copy of Sleeping Gods. Oh, did you? I did. Okay. I did. I did. I managed to get it from Germany. It arrived while I was at work over the weekend and so I arrived back last night and it was there waiting for me. So I cuddled it for a little while. Now, I'll tell you one thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Did you buy it from a shop or from a person? I bought it from a shop. I bought it from a shop from Milanspiel. And how much did it cost? This is what I was getting onto. I've decided that the prices in the UK are so high in comparison to Germany and France that it's often a viable alternative to get your games from them because I paid, in total, €78. Euros. Did you get whacked with uh, taxes? Nope. No taxes. Then you probably don't want to put this out on a public podcast. <laughs> yeah, loads of taxes. Oh, yeah, I paid, oh, I paid fortune. Three million pounds. You did. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. It was 78 euro if you hadn't paid taxes, which you definitely If paid. I hadn't paid taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. I've recently bought stuff. Um, for instance, your copy of On Mars came from Philibert in France. Oh, yeah. So and, and again, that was more cost effective than buying it in Britain. Did you pay taxes? I paid my taxes, yes, I, of course I did. I never don't pay my taxes. Uh, <laughs> and, yes, so uh, Sleeping Gods has arrived. I'm super, super excited to get it to the table. People are raving about it left, right and centre. So that's that's been my first arrival. What's, what's coming into your 
wing. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your second arrival because I know you're excited, and then I'm gonna do mine. Well, my second arrival is arriving today. Uh, I've got the shipping notice, and it says it's been delivered today. It's Dark Ages from Borden Dice. They're uh, area control dudes on a map game set across Europe, uh, split into two sections. So you've got the Charlemagne, which which is the the western side of Europe, and then there's uh, the eastern side of Europe, and you can combine the two. Did but you I only both? got the Charlemagne. No, 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 right, no. Okay. I bought one, and you know what? I am very, very tempted to move this on without even opening it. Oh! Because the reviews are coming back really poor. I started to have concerns during their sort of designer diaries and their, that kind of thing. Like, just not sure at all about it. From what I'm hearing from people, it's very clunky, it's very long. To uh, use the phrase again, this one it, it may well outstay its welcome. So I'm just thinking, you know what? I bought it um, obviously like a year and a half, maybe two years ago when I was in my Kickstarter frenzy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit off that now. I'm still kickstarting, but not to the frenzy I was then. So I don't know if I need it. I don't know if I need to play this game. And so I think I might move it on. Board and dice. I'm very surprised because. To me, anyway, they have a reputation of always doing a good production and looking after the the small bits, the easy bits, if you like. But what I'm reading here, seeing as you made me read, is rulebook is full of errors and no player aids. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Just little bits that you thought, not used to board and dice. Because board and dice come out with a game like this, it's an insta back for me. It's like, oh, yeah, Yeah. people I trust... They make good games, they make really innovative games, and they've never really let me down. But um, this one just seems to be riddled with, with weird little errors for them. I've also read good solo or with a large number of players. Well, that's going to suit your gaming groups down to the, <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Perfect. It's almost <laughs> like it was made for me. Oh, I was going to say I'll take it off your hands, but... I have a little think now. I'll wait for a few more comments and then we'll you see. You are more than welcome to it. If you want it, it's yours. You are a darling, but I'm not going to take it just yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is that it for new arrivals? It is for me, yes. Yes. What about your good self? Three groups of games that have come in. Three groups of games? Groups of games. They came in groups. They've hit me in spurts. <laughs> and... <laughs> first, first group of games that came in as a Kickstarter, slightly more modest than your usual £800 Kickstarters, was the uh, Matchbox Games Encore from Thunderglyph, where they do five games that come in little boxes. Oh, yes. And, uh, and you yes. get them all together in one book. Yeah, so they've turned up. They're AO, Golems, 15 Days, Space Lunch, and Rebus. No idea cool. if they're any good. They didn't cost very much, and they're worth a little dabble. So I'm going to be looking at AO, I think, is the first one up. Nice. Secondly... I was away in Cambridgeshire and we went into Heifer's Bookshop in Cambridge, which our friend Steve said had a decent game selection. And I picked up three small games, but I didn't pick up something that I should have shown. <gasps> well, what, what did you pick up first? Subastral, for starters, which mm, just reviewed, okay. so clearly that came in at some point. Result? I got Imperium. They didn't have classics, like most of the UK, they sold out classics, so I got Imperium Legends, the Osprey deck builder, that's supposed to be yeah. good. I did get... I've got both of those. don't know why, but I've got both of them. 
and I've, I've, I've had a dabble, and my first play was promising. Not amazing, okay. but promising. You get paid too much. <laughs> I really don't. Everything. I really don't. <laughs> okay, you spend too much. I'm an idiot, yes. There you go. That's, that's okay. the rule. <laughs> the last one's another little one that I've heard in at least three or four places getting good reviews. It's Festival of a Thousand Cats. Right, okay. Okay, clearly you haven't. But I've heard good reviews for it from a few different places, so that's the other one. But the one I didn't get, and I should have done, and I've thought about it ever since I might drive to Cambridge for two hours just to go get it, is they had a copy of The Loop. Ooh. Matthew, Matthew's getting getting a copy of this soon. So I, might I didn't realise it. it was hard. Yeah, I didn't realise it was hard to get hold of. Like, I'd heard good things about it. It's been around for a while, but it appears to have been a slow burner. I had no idea that it was hard to get hold of. And it was right there, and I was like, ah, oh, well, I've got these three. I don't need that. I needed it. I did need that, it. That was exactly what I was going to say. It was a slow burner, because when it first turned up, people were like, eh. Not, not, there was no buzz about it at all, but slowly it started to play, appear in, like, Dice Tower playthroughs and the various other online gaming communities and it's slowly building up that buzz so I I'm really want to play it now I wasn't fast at the beginning at all but yeah you might have to go and get it yeah you make me feel worse I didn't get it now okay yeah, good yeah, you should. And the last <laughs> set of games that came in is Games Workshop send us games a lot <laughs> sometimes it happens yes. anyway they've sent us three smaller box games called Fireteam Bladeborne and Doomsday Countdown which are all sort of more introductory, mm. easy in sort of games into their system. So they will be rolling up. I think I said to you, you know, Doomsday Countdown looks like something that you and James might enjoy. Yeah, I think one of them, maybe Fire Team, is a re-implementation of an older game that because uh, I think I've seen called some Fire talk- Team. Yeah, yeah, I think I've seen people talking about that and quite excited by it. By it, so yeah, I think I think they're, they're definitely three that we will play. And maybe hopefully review in the in the pit at later times. Now you referenced your crowdfunding uh, mayhem of previous years, but I don't imagine that has stopped completely. No, no, not, not and I quite. do know you backed something recently. Well, I have backed for a dollar. Now, so this this is me going a lot easier. I've backed Aridia the paths we dare tread because it just sounded so interesting such a wide open sandbox world role-playing elements character progression now i only backed it for a dollar because it's quite expensive and also there's a lot to bring together now you mentioned it's from the same people that did a zaya legends of a drift system yeah and, yes. Yeah, and they they obviously pulled that together because that is a highly rated game. People love that game, but I don't know. There's so much to pull together. I was I was looking at a sort of all the things that they've got in this game, and I think, my God, that's a lot of work. If they pull it off, brilliant. If they don't, well, good try. But I don't know. I don't know where to go on this one. So I'm in for a dollar, and I'll see where it goes. You need to tell me when the pledge manager opens. Because you might be back in two copies. <laughs> Fair enough. And I actually, I'll quickly jump in. I've just backed um, a game. It sounds a lot of fun. From uh, and we are friends with Bez. Games from Bez. She has uh, just recently kickstarted. It's called. And it is, this is the whole title. It is called a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. 
So, and it, but it does. It's, it's all these weird monster pictures and weird drawings of various monsters, and you put them down, and somebody makes a noise, and everyone's got to guess which of those monsters made the noise. <laughs> so, actually, I think, I think you know that could be a little bit of fun, and it was like a fiver. It's five pounds. That actually sounds really cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's another one you backed, and I know there is. So, yes, I backed another game for a dollar, and that game was called Flamecraft. Now, I found out recently, literally at the weekend, that uh, Rachel has backed her very first Kickstarter ever. Rachel is Rona's partner, as he often mentions, and she has backed Flamecraft. So maybe my dollar will be all that I pass on to them, because if I get to play it at Ronan and Rachel's, then happy days. Flamecraft is a game where... It's based around dragons, and the dragons are like bakers and this and that, and you're you're putting them into different areas to score points, and they they're delivering you your goods and things like that. Didn't delve into it massively. It looked really cute. Got a load of buzz. I'm just looking at the Kickstarter page now. It's made over two million dollars, so from a twenty five thousand goal. So it really took off. I know Rado did a run through of it and a few other guys. So I think that one is is quite high on the BGG buzz list as well. So I'll be interested to see how that gets uh, through its manufacturing and when it arrives and and how it goes. Yeah, I knew Rachel was going to back it since she heard of it because it's dragons making tea, and that's two of her favourite things in the world. So, as well as Rachel backing one game this month, I backed one game, and it is Earthborn Rangers. This is designed by the Sadler Brothers and Andrew Fisher and Andrew Navarro and Brooks Flugar Leavitt, and it's the first game from Earthborn Games, and it's another sort of sandboxy one similar to sean's back in the video there whereby uh, you're a ranger in a valley but it's kind of like a sci-fi fantasy setting and you pick your ranger's characteristics and your motives and stuff and then it's cooperative you're all looking after the wilderness but there's a main storyline there's branches storylines and you make it a sandbox as you want to and it's very ambitious i think it's very interesting i think again very similar to what sean's saying it's gonna be a lot for them to pull off but they have got some pedigree there with the Sadler Brothers, and it looks like the gameplay itself is relatively simple because you're building a deck, basically, and it's from the deck that you're playing cards. So I've got high hopes for Earthborn Rangers, and that was the one that I've backed this time round. Yeah, I, I, was, I was sniffing around that, Rodan, but I'm glad you've backed it because then I didn't have to. As soon as you did, I pulled out, so <laughs> happy days. And I think that brings us to the end of the show. So... Thank you very much, Ronan, for having me back in the pit. It's your pit. You you hold the keys to the kingdom. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there to the network and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. We are on social media. We have our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And Twitter, we're at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to contact us, then the email address to do so is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we're on the Board Game Geek Guild and we love having conversations over on that. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back very soon, hopefully with a top 10 of 2020 with Mr. Jude and we'll catch you then. All the best. Music by E. Aaron.
Boy, 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 boy.